Well, Easter is my favorite Sunday of the year, each and every year, and it's going to be that way my entire life. Now, I will admit that I like Easter Sunday because there are always more of you here than on other Sundays, and I like that. By the way, I do wish it wasn't like that, so again, come on back next week. I like Easter Sunday because I do enjoy seeing those of you who take advantage of this Sunday to dress up. I, I do enjoy seeing, seeing that. You know, I, I don't enjoy it, but uh, I do like seeing that the people of Vineyard Christian Church, which I lead, are able to look presentable when they need to. Just kidding. You always dress well. At least most of you do. Um, I like Easter because it's a big family day. In my case, my brother and his family are here from Michigan, and they'll be joining uh, my family, my parents, and Michelle's mom for uh, dinner, for lunch, after service. And uh, Nathan and Jolene bring with them four children that bring a lot of liveliness to the occasion. And we know that a lot of cute stuff is going to happen at lunchtime, and so I like that a lot. But the main reason I like Easter Sunday is because it's the Sunday that we get to celebrate the most important thing that has ever happened on planet Earth, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now... It is true that we can celebrate the resurrection every day, and if Christianity is lived the way that it's supposed to be lived, then every day really is a celebration of the resurrection. But I like having this day that is set aside for this purpose, to be able to focus everything we do on the resurrection of Jesus. I love gathering together with the people of God and having a giant celebration of Jesus and his victory over sin, death, and the grave. It's a wonderful thing. The Apostle Paul said that if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then our faith is useless. If you ever hear somebody say, you know, it doesn't really matter if Jesus rose from the dead or not. I mean, we can still appreciate the story. And even if it's just a myth, you know, it's okay. They don't know their Bible. The Apostle Paul, the, the, the man who wrote so much of the New Testament, he said, no, if this is not true, then this is all pointless. It's all, it, it is all useless. But here's what I'm happy to report today. Christ has been raised. And so we are able to celebrate. Now, it's not the focus of my sermon today, but two weeks from today in this new series that we're starting that Kentrell mentioned, uh, which we're calling uh, Strange Things. Do you have any idea where we came up with that title? Okay, some of you do. Uh, I'm going to be speaking about the evidence for the resurrection. Again, it's not the focus today, but if you're here and you are skeptical uh, about the reliability of the account of Jesus' resurrection, I invite you to come back and we are going to talk about the evidence for the resurrection. It's been a number of years since I have done this, and uh, so it's going to be a part of this series. Now, I do want to give you a sneak peek. The evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is compelling. 
What we will find out and what Christians all over the world know is that you do not have to disengage your brain to believe in the resurrection. You can keep your brain fully engaged. You can be a highly intelligent person and believe in the resurrection. Take it from me. You got it. You got it. All right. Very good. <laughs> so in two weeks, we're going to consider the evidence for the resurrection. And I hope that you will be here. For today, I want to start with the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. Here's what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This single verse assures us of a lot of things. It assures us that God loves all of us and that God loves each of us. This verse tells us that everyone who believes on Jesus, God's Son, will have eternal life. And this verse says that God gave His Son for us. That's kind of an understatement. I mean, like, there is a lot contained in that single word, gave. And that's what I want to talk about today. You see, it's only when we understand all that's contained in that word that we come to the place where we begin to fully appreciate all that God has done for us by giving Jesus to us. That little word gave contains all that God sent Jesus to do, all that God sent Jesus to accomplish. Within that little word gave is an incredible mission. And so I want to share for a few minutes about the mission of Jesus, the Son of God. This mission is the purpose for which God gave His Son to the world. Now, what I want to share today certainly is not an exhaustive account of all that Jesus did and accomplished. But I am going to be covering uh, many of the most important aspects of the mission of Jesus. The first purpose for which God gave His Son was to help all of us understand God better. Some people have described it this way, that God gave Jesus to us to be, quote, God with skin on. God with skin on. Now, if you're anything like me, an eternal, omniscient, invisible God is a challenge. That, that is a challenge to me. Now the Bible tells us that the existence of God is obvious simply by observing creation. Which means that belief in God is not something that humans came to against all odds or against all available evidence. The Bible says that creation itself declares, makes it so clear that there's a God that, that it just... It has to be believed. The Bible takes that position and it goes so, uh, so strong with that position that it, it takes a step further and it says to not believe actually is just sort of foolish. Like there's so much evidence for God, it's just foolish not to believe. But at least speaking for myself, an invisible spirit God 
is so other that while I think I would believe in God apart from Christ, I'm suspicious that at best I would believe in sort of an agnostic kind of way. I'd believe, but I wouldn't feel like there was probably much hope of me really knowing or understanding God. I'm suspicious that the idea of a relationship with God would seem sort of beyond my grasp, kind of unlikely. Uh, I think I would probably even view it as unnecessary. For people like me, and there are a lot of us, God sent His Son, God sent Jesus in order to reveal Himself, to help us understand Him better. And the Bible affirms that this is part of the purpose of Jesus' coming. John 1.18 says this, No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, the only begotten Son, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Jesus makes God known. Jesus helps us understand God. In John 14, 9, in response to one of his disciples asking Jesus to show them the Father, to reveal God to them, Jesus responded, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Look at, look at me, and you see the Father. These verses and others make it clear that the Son reveals the Father to mankind. The Son makes the Father known. The Son helps us to understand God. We look at Jesus. And when we do, we see what God is like. We see who God is. Many people struggle with questions about an eternal, invisible, omniscient God. They ask questions like, where did he come from? How can it be that he's just always been? And my advice is always, and it is today, if you're facing those kind of questions and that kind of struggle, my advice is always to remind people that those questions really are not answerable to us. They are beyond our pay grade, as the saying goes. So I encourage people, and I encourage those of you here today, to focus your search for answers about God on Jesus. Look at Jesus. He came, God sent him, God gave him to help us understand and know God. The second purpose for which God gave his son that I want to draw attention to today, God gave his son to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19.10 says that exact thing. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And according to the Bible, the lost are all of mankind. Every single person apart from Christ is lost. In the beginning, we belong to God. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, lived in a world that God had created for them. There was no sin in the world at that time. They had a direct relationship with God. They were comfortable and they were at ease with God. They knew God and He knew them. But our first parents, like all of us since, succumbed to the temptations of the evil one and they disobeyed one restriction that God had placed on them. He said, hey, you can do anything you want to do. Just don't go eat of that tree. 
what would you have done? Probably the same thing Adam and Eve did. You would have headed right to the tree. And uh, I don't know how long it took them to head to the tree, but they headed to the tree eventually. And, and, and they, they sinned and they disobeyed God, disobeyed the one restriction. And in doing so, what they did is they fractured their relationship with God. And where they had enjoyed a close relationship with Him, now they pulled away from Him. Now, if you're familiar with the story, they actually hid from Him. And so what was lost by sin was the relationship between God and man. With sin unleashed in the world, the people God created to be loved by Him and to love Him in return, to have a relationship with Him, they turned away from Him. And then all of humanity has continued that to where uh, to where it gets to the point that the New Testament lets us know that our sins have actually made us enemies of God. Now, my understanding of that verse is not that God views us as enemies, but in the way that we are positioned toward Him, in the way that we posture ourselves toward Him, we stand as His enemies. We have placed ourselves in that position as enemies of God. Mankind is lost. Apart from Christ, we are all lost. And so God sent Jesus, gave Jesus, to seek and to save the lost, to reconcile man and God, to seek and to save men and women who are estranged from Him. And that's what it means to be lost. To be estranged from God. It's a great definition of being lost. We're estranged. And this next point on your outline begins to explain how Jesus went about seeking and saving the lost. How Jesus went about repairing the broken relationship between God and man. Here's what Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost required of him. It's the third purpose for which God gave his son. And here it is. To live a sinless life in perfect obedience to God. Now look, it is not a popular message in the year 2019. Really, it's never been a popular message, but it's really not popular in 2019. But this unpopular message is a very true message. And here it is. God is not a big fan of sin. He doesn't treat rebellion against his authority as a light matter. He doesn't get chuckles out of it. The truth of the matter is that God, the witness of Scripture is, that God requires perfect obedience, which means that in order to be right with God, and Scripture bears this out, what is required is moral perfection. And if you don't believe that, all we really have to present, now the whole Bible bears that out, but all we really have to do is go back to the beginning and consider the evidence from the very beginning. Adam and Eve disobeyed the only restriction God placed on them, but another way of looking at it is Adam and Eve only disobeyed one thing, and they only disobeyed it at this point one time. At the point it happened, it was the first and only time they had disobeyed God. Surely, that can be overlooked. 
Only once? I mean, look, we've, we've been really good. We only did this once, God. But it couldn't be overlooked. For that one disobedience, that one rebellious act, the scripture says they were removed from the Garden of Eden. There was an angel actually stationed to guard it, to keep them from getting back in. They were told that because of what they had done, the ground was now going to be cursed because of them. And that because of what they had done, everything in life now was going to be more difficult for them. From growing food to having children, everything now was going to be difficult. And worst of all, because of their disobedience to God, God allowed them to face the consequence of that disobedience. And death entered the human experience. We call this the fall. And what a fall it was. One sin resulted in all of that. Don't tell me that sin isn't a big deal to God. It is. It is. In 2019, we have deluded ourselves into thinking that God is like the misguided parent. And some of my friends in high school had this misguided parent. God is like the misguided parent who wants to be cool and wants their teenager to think they're cool so bad that they're happy to provide beer and birth control for their parties. But God isn't like that. God doesn't think sin is cute. God doesn't think your sin is cute. He doesn't think my sin is cute. God does not enable sin. God does not laugh at sin. God does not overlook sin. God does not spend one second worrying about whether or not you think he's cool. He views sin so dimly that he said in his book, and it's borne out through the book, the wages of sin, what you earn for yourself when you sin, is death. Romans 6.23. That's why Galatians 5 says that all who live in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's why Colossians 3 tells us that because of sin, the wrath of God is coming. It's coming. This third purpose for why God sent Jesus, gave Jesus, was to live sin-free so that he could undo what Adam had done. Where Adam had failed to resist sin and allowed sin and its consequences to enter the human experience, God sent Jesus to undo what Adam did to live the sinless life that Adam failed to live. Adam, as representative of mankind, sinned and we all became sinners. Now Jesus, as representative of mankind, would live in obedience to God, fulfilling God's righteous demands. And Jesus did that. 2 Corinthians 5.21 affirms of Jesus that he had no sin. 1 John 3.5 tells us of Jesus, in him is no sin. And this third purpose for which God gave His Son, was the prerequisite, the requirement 
for the fourth purpose for which God gave His Son. To die a substitutionary death for the sins of mankind, for your sins, for my sins. This past Friday, we remembered, we commemorated the sacrificial death of Jesus. Romans 5, 6 tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. Galatians 3.13 tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, uh, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. 1 Peter 2.24 tells us he bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is yet another unpopular message in 2019. They call it barbaric. They call it cosmic child abuse. But they do so at least in part because they do not understand the seriousness of sin. We punish wrongdoing all the time through our criminal justice system. But somehow people have convinced themselves that when it comes to God, anything goes. God is A-OK with whatever. But He isn't. He isn't. And because the wages of sin is death, sin's penalty has to to be paid. It has to be paid. But God graciously established throughout His Word, the Bible, a provision where a sinless party could stand in the place of a guilty party and take their penalty for them. That's what all of the sacrificial lambs of the Old Testament were all about. And that's why those sacrificial lambs had to be without spot or blemish. It was a symbol of the perfection required to stand in and take the punishment for the guilty. By living a sinless life in perfect obedience to God, Jesus could stand in for Adam and all of humanity and bear the penalty of sin on our behalf. God gave Jesus to help us understand Him better, to seek and to save the lost, to live in perfect obedience to God, to die a substitutionary death for the sins of mankind. And the fifth purpose for which God gave His Son results from the previous two. He gave His Son to defeat death and the grave and to secure eternal life for all who trust in Jesus, His Son. Here's what John 6:40 says and this is Jesus speaking For my Father's will is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day In John 11:25 Jesus said I am the resurrection and the life he who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die and then 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and 56 offer these life-changing words. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These verses let us know that Jesus' mission was to defeat death and the grave and to secure eternal life for everyone who would trust in Him. That's what this most famous verse of the Bible that I started with this morning tells us, right? 
God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved us so much that He sent Jesus to bear the penalty of death that sin had brought upon us. He sent Jesus to satisfy that penalty which frees us from it. Jesus defeated death and he secured eternal life for us. Here's what this means. It means that Jesus faced down the greatest fear of every person on planet earth. He looked it in the face and he defeated it. And now he says to us, you don't have to fear death anymore. What is the greatest fear of every person on earth? It's death. And if you say it's not, I don't believe you. It is death. It is for me. Just the thought of it can ruin the best day. Like, like I mean, I, I don't... I don't want to put something on you if you don't, you know, have this happen to you, but sometimes I can be going about my day just happy as a lark and enjoying another gloomy day in central Ohio. And, and all of a sudden, the thought just comes on me like, huh, I'm 50 this year. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. It's, it's going really fast. And I don't like that thought. can ruin the best day. Every time we feel a little something off with us physically, it's the fear of death. And it rears its head in our lives. Each time a grandparent or a parent dies, it reminds us that our time is coming. God gave Jesus to the world he loves to defeat death for us so that we could be free from the fear of death. And if we ever really grasp what Christ has done for us, and if the truth of it ever fully penetrates our hearts, we can and we will be free from the fear of death. Now, I tell this story a lot, so those of you who you know, are here, I apologize that you have to hear this again, but for those of you who haven't heard this story before, when we get free from the fear of death, we can become like, a good friend of mine, a, a pastor in Phoenix named David Wright, who one time I was talking to him, and I, uh, I'm not a big fan of flying, if you didn't know this. And so one time I was talking to him, and I was saying, David, can you imagine how awful it would be like sit, be sitting in the plane, and the pilot comes on and says, says hey, folks, uh, we've lost our engine or lost all our engines or the wings have fallen off or whatever they say, <laughs> and, and, uh, and you're going down... And we have no chance of survival. Now, David, how would you feel? How would you feel? And he said, well, you want me to tell you honestly how I'd feel? And I said, yeah, please do. And he said, well, he said, I think I'd, for just a brief second or two, I would mourn the loss of my family, that I was going to be separated from my family, that I was going to check out of their lives earlier than I should have. I would mourn the things that I was going to miss out on. He said, but as soon as I had just spent just a, just a brief moment mourning that, he said, I, I can never tell this story without getting all choked up. He says, 
I really think that as soon as I had done that, my next thought would be, but I'm just about to see Jesus. And here's the thing about when he said it. There are a lot of people who could say that, and I would have walked away and said, yeah, right. You don't really mean that. He said it in a way that I believe to the bottom of my being that he meant what he said. I really believe that's where he lives, and that's what, that's what he would do. If the truth of what Christ has done for us ever penetrates our hearts, we'll be able to sing with sincerity songs like, uh, lines from songs like, no guilt in life, no fear in death. Here's what Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 say. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. It's slavery for us. And Jesus came to free us from this slavery. My number one hope on Easter Sunday and really every Sunday throughout the year is that people would come to saving faith in Jesus. But I want to tell you what my number two hope is. Easter and always. And that is that the truth of what Jesus did for us and the truth about what the future holds for us would get so deep into our hearts, so deep into our spirits, that Hebrews 2 would be true for all of us. That we really would be liberated from the fear of death. Not for the purpose of, you know, going out and living reckless lives, you know, not so that we can go spelunking or skydiving, although if you want to do that, go right ahead. Not so that we can swim the Amazon with the piranhas with an I don't care attitude, I'll go to heaven if they eat me. Not any of that kind of stuff. But so that whenever our time comes, we face it free from fear. Confident in the one who lived for us, died for us, and through his death provided freedom from death and freedom from the fear of death. May all of us here today be free from the fear of death in Jesus' name. May it be true. The final purpose for which God gave His Son that we'll cover today is really just a summary of all the others. Here's what 1 John 3, 8 says. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now friends, whether we want to believe in Him or not, there is a devil. He is real. The Bible doesn't talk about Him and Jesus didn't talk about Him because He's just some fictitious character. He is real. And what you see around you in the world is His handiwork because He is the ruler of this present world system. Sin and rebellion against God are the devil's work. Being separated from God and lost, that's the devil's work. Death, that's the devil's work. Fear of death, that's the devil's work. Behind every sin, behind all of the rebellion of mankind, behind all of the worry and the fear and the torment that people deal with, behind all that is wrong with the world, somewhere behind it is the evil one, the devil. Now, you don't have to be paranoid about him. We don't have to look for the devil behind every bush, as the saying goes. But everything that is wrong in the world, behind it all, is the devil. It is all his handiwork. He is the one who seeks 
to steal from us, to kill us, to destroy us. And God gave Jesus to destroy the works of the devil, and that's exactly what Jesus did. And now we come to the event that we celebrate today. Now we come to the resurrection. And here's how Matthew reported it. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Amen. For those of us who believe, I think it's impossible to read those words without excitement in our hearts. It is the central event in human history. It is the foundational event of the Christian church. And here's something important to know about the resurrection. It is a declaration. It's a declaration. The resurrection declares in the most emphatic way possible that Jesus fully accomplished his mission. He fully accomplished everything that God sent him to do. The resurrection is validation of Christ's sinless life, lived in perfect obedience to God because only a sinless sacrifice could satisfy God's just demands. The resurrection is proof that he was able to fully pay the debt of sin as our substitute for all of mankind. The resurrection tells us that where through the first Adam all became sinners through Christ, redemption is now available to all because our sinless substitute fully paid our penalty. The resurrection is obviously proof that Christ has conquered death and the grave, and it's proof that Christ has successfully secured salvation for all of those who apart from him are lost. This is what Romans 4.25 says when it declares he was delivered over to death for our sins. The way you should read that, he was delivered over to death because of our sins. And he was raised to life because of our justification. In other words, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Those who have been separated from God by sin are now reconciled to God by Christ. And the resurrection destroys the works of the devil. Sin, alienation, separation, fear, and death, they have all been destroyed by Jesus, the Son of God. And the resurrection is proof that it is so. The Apostle Paul was very careful to explain the end result of Christ's resurrection. He explained to us that Christ's resurrection was not only proof of Christ's power over death for himself, but was proof that he had secured eternal life and resurrection for all who would trust in him. Paul explained this in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23, where he wrote, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man, 
For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. What this tells us is that Christ is just the first of many who will be resurrected. He was the first, but when he returns, when he comes again, all who have died belonging to him will be resurrected to eternal life. We don't have to fear anymore. Death and the grave have truly been defeated. Eternal life has truly been secured for all of us who trust in Jesus. Jesus accomplished all that he was sent to accomplish. And the resurrection is the emphatic declaration that the mission is accomplished. This is why we celebrate today. This is why the resurrection excites us so much. It means that the thing we fear the most, we don't have to fear at all. Because Jesus secured eternal life for us. The witness of Scripture is clear. Eternal life is available to all who believe on the Son who was given for them. The witness of Scripture is clear. That to receive the benefits of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have to respond to Him in faith. We have to believe in Him. We have to trust Him. We have to entrust our lives to Him. We have to say yes to the wonderful gift that He has secured for us. We return once again to John 3.16, which affirms this. It says, whoever believes in Christ has eternal life. Paul in Romans 10 explained it this way. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And just a few verses after that, Paul wrote, these are such wonderful words, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's not like a precise set of words you have to say there there's not like this certain thing that you have to do just right if you just from a heart of faith just call on the name of the lord recognize him for who he is and say i want you in my life i want you to be my savior and lord you will be saved i can't think of a better time to receive christ than easter sunday and here in just a minute i'm going to give you that opportunity for all who believe in their hearts and confess with their mouths. For all who believe in Christ and His resurrection, they receive the promise of their own resurrection, and they receive eternal life. And I hope that some folks here today will make that decision. All that I have shared today was done by God, fulfilled by Christ, because God hates sin. But God really loves you. He really loves you. Let's stand.